Hello and welcome to What Goes Around. And my name is Eamon Murtagh this week. My name is Deb Grant this week. <laughs> and on this week's show, we will be talking about Deb's move to the metropolis of Manchester and the ensuing job shenanigans she has found at Six Music. But we will also be talking about punk rock, both here and in the USA. On the show this week, we also have a chat with Kate Stables from the brilliant band This Is The Kit. So there you go. What goes around this week features punk and it features folk. That's the kind of balanced diet we like right here on the show. Shall we pod? I think we should pod. And I think we should pod right now. DJ Deb Grant, traveller of the airwaves. What goes around? Well, I don't know if you know this, Eamon, but I actually did it. I did the thing that I talked about on the podcast long ago, and I moved to Manchester, been in Manchester for a few months now. That's my main big news, except for a small new job that I started quite recently, too. I had heard something. It's just like an everyday thing. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's only four days a week, actually. But yeah. Is it only four? Well, only four. <laughs> you should know that. Are you for real? <laughs> No, I do know that. Of course I know. I, I tune in regularly. I mean, I actually do. I, this is the weird thing. is I, You've always been on the radio and doing stuff. I like, occasionally hear a little bit. But I have actually tuned in and listened. It's a so, good show. Uh, yeah. It is. Lots of good new music. Yeah. I enjoy it very much. Yeah. How are you finding it? Um, I'm loving it. I mean, it's a dream. It's uh, It feels like quite a mantle of responsibility to be introducing new music to a station like BBC Six. Like... You know, I, I have to kind of uh, spend a lot of time going through uh, music that people send me, music that I find mm. online, going to gigs, etc. It feels like quite a big, a big responsibility. And then, of course, there's all the energy I have to save up to argue with Tom about what he likes versus what I like. Um, mm. And, uh, you know, that's um, that's all part of it as well. But, yeah, I, it's 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 great. I imagine it must be quite dizzying just because like you're, you're, four nights a week, mm. all new stuff. Yeah. You mu- your ears must be burning off the hook. You know? <laughs> I think it's it's kind of I mean, the thing that I'm interested in most with new music or with any music really is like something that stands out and surprises me and is a bit different and kind of is, is in contrast to the rest of the stuff that I'm hearing. So the mm. fact that that's what I'm listening out for kind of helps to keep things fresh. Um, but just the excitement as well of doing it. It'll take a long time before I get jaded and my ears get tired. So it's kind of good for me too because it's kind of um, put me in a position where I'm obliged to, to listen to different music. I mean, my background, as you know, is like finding weird old crusty music. So the fact that I'm now in a position of, uh, you know, having to listen out for exclusively new stuff um, (laughs) is quite cool. Yeah, I can just imagine the the, the sort of (laughs) clunky gear shift that's gone on in in Grant's brain. (laughs) Thanks a lot. Well, no, but you you were, you know, you were a scourer of the archives before. And that's a very different thing because, you know, essentially, if you're looking back, then, you know, the only... The only thing you've got to worry about is time. So as long as it's happened, yeah. you can go find it. But when you're looking for brand new things, it's about it's about time, but it's also about timing. You know, you've got to strike while that iron is hot and find those those things just while they're still wriggling in the tin. Yeah, I mean? true. And I, I think, I don't know if it's a curse or a blessing, but I think when you have an internal archive, 
um, of older music, you can get into such a rut of hearing something new and being like, well, this sounds like this mixed with that with yeah, a touch of yeah. this. And like I'm trying very hard not to do that because oftentimes you think that, but actually, you know, they might not be influences that the artist has at all. So, yes, yeah. it's keeping me fresh, Eamon. It's keeping me young. So that has to be a good thing. That <laughs> has to be a good thing. Yeah. I'll have some of that. <laughs> yeah, that whole thing of um, uh, sort of trying to find something new as well, that can be quite a, a dizzying prospect because yeah. I mean, you must must be being, you know, you must have like a pile. Do you, can you, this is the thing. In, back in the day, you'd have had a desk like Columbo's <laughs> with like loads and tons and tons of CDs and tapes and stuff. Yeah. But now I guess your pile is just your inbox. Yeah. I mean, I do get sent a lot of records, which is, you know. Uh, Dream. Who, yeah. <laughs> who is it we were speaking to? Uh, DJ um, uh, Jaguar Skills was saying he just got oh, yeah. into DJing for the free records. Um, so, yeah, now more than ever, I'm benefiting from that, which is really nice. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it is, it is mostly email based. But then again, I mean. Manchester is fucking great. I was quite nervous, although... See, I told you you'd like it, didn't I? Yeah, yeah, but it was just... It was more, you know, leave... I've been in London for 20 years, so, like, leaving behind everyone I knew and loved to move mm. to this new city, it just was very daunting. And in my mind, I was thinking, like, well, London gets the best of everything, so that means Manchester is going to be second best. What I didn't account for is the fact that, you know... London just makes everything so difficult for you. Like, I would hardly ever be arsed going to gigs in London because of the journey there and the journey back and all of the, um, you know, obstacles Ooh. and public transport and annoying people and all the rest of it. In Manchester, I've, I've been to probably more gigs in the couple of months I've been in Manchester than I went to in London in the whole of the last few years because I can Ooh. walk home from everything. Everything is so accessible. It's like you walk past a music venue and you're like, that's for me. I could go in there anytime <laughs> I wanted, you know. Um, so, I, yeah. I imagine they, were, they saw you coming up the motorway and said, she's here, lads. Put the sign <laughs> on the door. Welcome, <laughs> DJ Deb Grant. This is for you. I don't know. It's funny. There's two record stores in the middle of town. Great record stores. Actually, mm. Manchester has some excellent record record stores but there's two here that only ever play six music when i walk in there and so i kind of walk in and i'm like "Ah, (laughs) nobody has said anything to me yet maybe it's because the hours of the show are antisocial or maybe it's because i need to earn my my status (laughs) maybe just too cool for school maybe they're just don't say anything as well. here comes the great dj deb yeah that could be it as well but could yeah who knows but i i've been loving it manchester i would recommend it but i don't want you know i don't want everyone to catch on to it because then the property prices no go no up yeah yeah keep it a secret i would yeah. because you know if you have something good going on you want to just keep a lid on that yeah but i do have a uh i do have one issue now my lovely boyfriend mm. came over from new zealand to help me move and um, unfortunately, he had to go. But well, unfortunately, I mean, you know, he's only allowed to stay in the country for a few months. Um, so he had to go back. And so it meant I had to keep the task of trying to make friends kind of on the long finger. Mm. And now he's gone and I have no friends. So, Aww. yeah, I don't know. How should I make friends? What what are you you've moved to a new city recently. What's what's your approach? I guess you have a kid so you can just, you know, oh, yeah, but that, you've got a whole pool of dads that you've got access uh, yeah, to. Yeah, but honestly, that's just a nightmare. If, if <laughs> honest, yeah. Are there no like, dads? I should. Some of them are great. Some of them mm. are fantastic. But 
a lot of the time when you have kids, you just end up in situations that you share through this commonality of having kids, but really you don't have that much in common. Yeah. And also it's a little bit, you have to be very guarded because, you know, I've, I've lived a, a fun life, shall mm-hmm. we say. Mm-hmm. And I often, sort of in the past, the circles I've moved in, so has everyone else. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And now I'm moving in circles where you're like, what do you do? Oh, I'm a lawyer for Lloyd's. Uh, um, I don't suppose you went raving, did you? <laughs> Some of them did, I have yeah, to say. Yeah. Well, you know, I guess those are the ones you can seek out. Yeah, but I, I know what you mean. Moving to a new city is really hard. I found it very, very difficult. And uh, I have to give a uh, hat tip to uh, my friends, Tim and Ben, who um, took me out early on. A friend of mine uh, on Facebook said, when you get down there, say hello to this person. And he kind of linked mm-hmm. us up. And so we did, we went out. And it's so nice. The first weekend we were out, uh, Ben said to me, he's like, have you found it hard, you know, making friends and all that? So I was like, well, you know, to be honest, yes. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not 20. I can't just go down the pub and get smashed for six <laughs> days and come out with friends, which is what you used to be able to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and he really lovely. He just said, well, look, I know what it's like. I did this like eight years ago. You've got a friend now. Isn't that nice? Isn't that nice? From oh, a big, roughy, tufty old bear of a man. That's where's my roughy, tufty old bear. And here, darling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, move to Manchester and then we'll talk. Okay, well, I, I will consider that. I did have do my time in Manchester and I always said I would come back when I had money to spend because I was so poor in Manchester. Yeah. You did all right, though. <laughs> no comment i mean i no do comment. have i do have access to um you know i can i can get to gigs there's various events and stuff that i that i can go to i just need i just need a plus one i need a pass yeah i tell you what it is and it's the one thing you can't really buy it's time isn't it yeah. you have to just show your face up and uh you know and and just be on the scene is that great i don't know if you ever saw it there's uh this musician once had to um, fill in for someone in uh, Thelonious Monk's band. Oh, yeah. And he went to the rehearsal and he was really nervous. And so he's writing notes on everything that Thelonious was saying, you know, before the before the gig and all that sort of stuff. And it turned out to be this, like, A4 sheet of wisdom from the jazz <laughs> <Yeah>. man himself, <laughs> you know. But one of the things he said, he said, you know, I, I can't, I, when I read it, I imagine he had a gravelly voice, you know, kind of Miles mm-hmm. Davis, but it was like, never... Never ask for a gig. Just be on the scene. <laughs> I love that. Oh, I, I like that. that. I like yeah. that a lot. So as long as you're on the scene, you're going to gigs. Just keep yourself busy. Your yeah. friends will follow. Okay. But now, all of our Manchester party, and I'm sure we've got a huge amount of Manchester scallies on the <laughs> uh, on the WGA list, um, they'll, all be, they'll all be after you. Yeah, well, you know, I'm here, guys. <laughs> I'm here <laughs> and I'm bored. <laughs> Okay, that's good. Well, uh, if you can, if you're in the Manchester area, please go and um, entertain Deb. <laughs> She's uh, got three days a week to kill. Uh. Amen, murder. Between the sawing and the hammering and the coughing and the nose blowing, please tell mm. me what goes around. Well, um, I'm going to go back to my roots, where I started, which is just sitting in a dark room on my own watching music documentaries. Oh, the reason I bring this one up is because I watched 
two documentaries and they're beautiful sides of the same coin uh, and it, they're just watching them back to back made me laugh like a drain because of the differences in the two of them so i'm going hardcore i'm going punk the, the first one i watched uh, shows the american side of things and it was called the godfathers of hardcore and it was all about agnostic front Ooh, okay. yes 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 yeah yeah so agnostic front Basically, as the name suggests, the godfathers of hardcore punk in America. The guy, the main sort of uh, guitarist in it, this guy called Vinnie Stigma, which is mm. also a fantastic Love name. that. He's brilliant. He's like this hard-boiled New York punk who just, you know, he, everything's like, what? What are you looking at? Let's move through. <laughs> I, I gotta do some. Hey, I got some punk rock to play. You know, and they, they keep saying punk rock and that always mm. makes me laugh. It's <laughs> yeah. like in England, you, you never say punk rock. No. It's punk. It's punk, mate. Yeah. It's punk rock over there. <laughs> agnostic front was the name. He was saying it's not about being, you know, anti-religious. Is that agnostic is in we're not going to believe anything we're told until we get up and see it and we're going to question everything that's told. And so the whole thing about the band is they just, um, whatever subject that comes up, they... They face it head on and they question it and they don't get spoon fed anything. Mm, mm. Now, the average life expectancy of a punk band in 1978 was probably slightly longer than a mayfly. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe six months is a good stint for a punk band. Mm. Unbelievably, Agnostic Front are still touring. Wow. Yeah, they're in their 60s and they're still doing the shit. And uh, there's footage of the shows. They have not let up. Vinnie Stigma is not a guy to just take a back seat and say, well, let's, let's, let's do some nice acoustic numbers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they are still rocking out and they're brilliant. And the footage is amazing because also like, they kind of come to their prominence in the 80s, really. So there's loads of that early camcorder footage. Oh, I love of these that incredible in Incredible punk gigs. Yeah, people just throwing themselves off balconies to stage dive and, you know, just oh, beautiful, violent, crazy music. But it also had this thing where, you know, they sort of had something to say. Now, what they had to say was just don't fucking trust anyone, really, which is a very punk kind of anarchy attitude. But they said it with real conviction and they kept it going. And Vinny, it seems to me, would just die on the tour bus. He's totally happy. Uh, Roger Mire, who's like the vocalist, he became the, the full-time vocalist after a little while, um, he is still with the band. They're still going. He finds it much harder to keep going. Like He misses his kids and his wife. And so there's this beautiful pivot in the film where it goes from just like, I'm a punk and I love fucking everything, yeah! And we keep going. And then there's this bit where it's like, but we got old and I had kids and this <laughs> oh, kids no. But there's still, you know, there's just, how do you know? He makes the sacrifice, do you know what I mean? He, he, he goes over the line and, and really puts himself on the line every night on the concert. Mm. And it's obviously really killing him, but he is not stopping because he and his mate Vinny are in this band and they are in it for life. Yeah, they got something to say. Honestly, it, it it made me swell up with pride. I was just thinking, yeah, God, I, I want to be like that. And just never give up and always do your best, you know? Anyway. It's so punk rock. Never give up and always do <laughs> no, your best. Do your best. That's what I learned from this punk rock documentary. And, and by the way, have you got any more glue? <laughs> <laughs> well, let, let me just flip the coin now. Because the coin lands the other side. We, we now find ourselves in Tunbridge Wells, where punk is just beginning to, like, take a hold. And Royal Tunbridge Wells, unknown to the good citizens of it, gave birth to one of Britain's seminal punk bands, 
the Anti-Nowhere League. Mm. Yeah. Now, if you know, the Anti-Nowhere League came to prominence when they recorded a punk version of Streets of London by Ralph McTell, which in itself is quite a, quite a bold move for a punk band, but they kind of just thrashed it out. I think they don't even play all the chords in the song because they, they couldn't quite manage it. Well, they, they, they get together and they just make this awful row and do this terrible cover version of Streets of London. And on the B side, they do a, a really notorious track called So What. Have you heard So What? No, I'm, on, I'm not that familiar with uh, with this band. And, you know, really, well, it, it was banned everywhere because the lyrics are just ridiculous. It's like, so what, so what, so fucking what? It, it, it makes um, some references to doing terrible things to a goat and then says, so what, so what? And basically just, so what? Fuck you. We're the fucking anti-nowhere league. You know, and they put this single out, Streets of London on one side, So What on the other, and it sells out. It goes mental. And suddenly they find themselves like in the punk world. But they then started touring with The Damned, and they're so English, and they are the epitome of, this sounds cruel, but the dumb punk. You know, the real, <laughs> the real punk in a way, which is just like, you know, we're not really saying anything, so what, we don't fucking care. Let's smash things up, oh, bollocks, bollocks. Yeah. You know, there was, there was nothing erudite or interesting <laughs> said throughout the whole documentary by these guys. They were just like, whatever, let's do it. And the contrast with Agnostic Front, who just seemed to have this sort of, militant belief that they were doing something important. Yeah, the Anti-Nowhere yeah, yeah, yeah. League were just like, oh, this is a laugh, in it? And there's a point where um, Rat Scabies from The Damned, oh, yeah. he is uh, talking about having them on tour and uh, they were just vile. vile. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, though. I love that. I think if you are getting called vile by a man yeah. called Rat Scabies, who is in a band called The Damned, <laughs> you have gone too far. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's impressive, though. They're living yeah. it. There's a point where um, uh, Rat Scabies says, I don't think you could do anything to shock me. Now, I'm not going to spoil the surprise, <laughs> but what they do next to <gasps> shock him fucking shocked him. <laughs> wow. got to watch so, it now. What's the documentary you got to watch it. So the documentary is called We Are The League. The anti nowhere league. Um, it's it's brilliant. Uh, really, I mean, just kind of funny, kind of horrible. Um, and they don't make any money. They don't make any money. They're punk legends, and then they think, "Fuck!" They kind of get, you know, when the bright lights catch someone's eye, and they just go, "Oh, maybe, maybe we we're not really that wedded to punk. Maybe we should just go sell out a bit and do some big rock and roll and make some money." Yeah. So they try and do this acceptable hard rock oh god it's so bad (laughs) do they acknowledge that it's bad yeah they they, you can see them cringing as they're talking about it but they're kind of like oh we just suddenly thought we might make some money it'd be really good and it was oh it's awful really excruciating to watch and then they're kind of they're absolutely knocked out and they're looking at each other and they've you know they know they're on the rappers, so they're kind of splitting up the band and nothing happens for a while. Mm. And Metallica show up, biggest band in the world, mm. and play So What live in concert. <gasps> and suddenly, there is money. Because <laughs> they've got the, the, you know, they've got the rights to that song and, and then they're getting Animal up on stage to sing with them. And so the, the league are born again and they rise again and, and, and start touring again. And it's just as fucking And the moral is... Place. 
What was, what did you say about it? <laughs> never give up. No moral. No. <laughs> no, they should have given up, to be quite honest. But I, I think if ever there was a band or a story that had no moral, it was the anti-Nowhere League. Sounds right so up my street. I heartily recommend it. And I, I do encourage all our listeners to do it as a double bill. I don't care which order you watch it in, but the, honestly, when you start looking at the two sides of punk, it's... I st- there's something special that happens when those two movies come together. So, so get in, get yourself on that. So what? What we're gonna, what we're gonna, what we're gonna do right here is go back, way back, back into time. That's right. Name that tune. Name that tune. Kate Stables is the singer-songwriter behind the brilliant indie folk band This Is The Kit. This group have gone about their business with a quiet determination and style over the years. They've won plaudits from the likes of Guy Garvey, Mark Radcliffe, Keris Matthews and Marianne Hobbs. And their sixth album, Careful Of Your Keepers, is out this month on Rough Trade Records. Kate has assembled a wonderfully layered back catalogue showcasing an ear for melody and a lyrical prowess. So we're delighted to have Kate here to share her phonographic memories on what goes around. Good morning, Kate. How are you? Hi, I'm good, thank you. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, it's lovely to have you here and I'm really excited to speak to you now because I was listening to the new album and really enjoying that. Thank you. I'm sure you've had a, a busy time running around and promoting it and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, it's been busy, but very fun. I was thinking, um, you know, you you have now had 20 years as This Is The Kid. Yeah, is that right? That's, that's this year, true. isn't it? I guess so. I don't know if there's an official year, because I feel like I sort of started um, selling CDRs at gigs mm. at some point. Yeah. At some date unknown to the history books. But yeah, exactly. Pretty much 20 years. That's a, that's a good innings, I'd say. And you know, it's, it's great the way, that, you know... I love when bands kind of creep up on you, you know, and uh, like mm. I, I don't think you've ever had the behemoth of, you know, universal music pushing you everywhere and getting you on Saturday morning <laughs> TV or anything like that. So you've done the hard yards, do you know what I mean? You've, you've continually yeah. worked and kept it going and, and, and carved out your little, your niche and it's great to see it coming to fruition. I think it is a funny one. It just makes me think of just like, um, I don't know, it's been an interesting journey because like, I feel like there's definitely been times when we'd been going too long for anyone to treat us like a new band mm. and we were too unknown for anyone to treat us like an established band. <laughs> so I remember like sort of found ourselves in this strange sort of um, limbo land for a few years. But now now we're well and truly a sort of band that's been going for ages. So it's, it's, yeah. it's easier now. Yeah, it's I would say you're well established. I mean, I, I have a, a personal story of how I found you, which is... One of the reasons yeah. why I wanted to get you on because it, I, it's one of the most serendipitous moments of my DJing career. Brilliant. I was DJing, at, I was DJing at a festival and uh, I was finishing up my set and it was all very nice, just like nice Sunday afternoon. The sun was just going down, it was beautiful, and um, played my last record. Bent down to start packing up my bags, and then I heard a, a pluck of a banjo, and I lifted my head above the decks and realised that your band had just set up really quietly and really quickly in front of me and all around me. <laughs> and okay. you started singing this beautiful music, really tender, yeah. quiet little songs. And I thought, well, I can't bundle through there with two bags of records now. Oh, <laughs> you no, know we trapped mean? you in. Yeah, yeah, you locked oh, us so in. I'm so sorry. But it, no, but it was lovely because I had no idea who you were or anything. I'd never, never seen or heard of you before. And then I was just 
in that brilliant position. You know, so often you get given music and you're trying to find a time to sit down and properly listen. Do you know what I mean? And you're, you're, like, life's busy and you've got things yeah. to do and yada yada. Well, the glorious thing about this was that um, I I couldn't go anywhere, so I had to sit quietly <laughs> Cat, behind the decks. Oh my god, I'm so sorry. <laughs> so I sat there quietly, listened to the whole set, and loved it. It was so okay. good. I had such a nice okay. time. And I think I ended up swapping a couple of my mix CDs with your drummer for oh, great. Uh, Jamie. Yeah, Crude Bowl and uh, and another album. I think we swapped okay, those over, great. and I gave him a couple of mix CDs. Um, but it was such a nice way to find new music, and so nice to start off on that footing where you really listen and there's no distractions at all and that, yeah you know. do you struggle to find places to 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 listen to music nowadays yourself you know, can you can you find the time and and space in order to take in new stuff or are you just sort of constantly busy doing your own thing yeah i do struggle a little bit but um but i but there are a few little times when i manage to listen to things like um traveling I guess mm. so on trains and buses and in sort of tour vans I just sort of get my headphones on and really enjoy properly listening to stuff mm. and also um I guess there's the one sort of radio program that I really try and make an effort to listen to and not just have one in the background is Late Junction and I love mm. just really listening to that because also it's late at night so you're sort of on the verge of sort of going to bed or whatever so I just really like just that being the just listening really careful listening to that but other than that it is hard to like mm. um carve in the time especially when like i remember a time of my life when it was what i did all the time i would put a record in, in my room and be listening to it really carefully while i did other stuff with my hands but my mind and my ears were totally fully involved with with the listening so it, yeah it's a, it's it's kind of um it'd be nice to get more listening to time in mm. well i think that you know your particular brand of music as well is uh you know, it's quiet and uh, and personal, and it, it does really benefit from uh, from not having distractions around you. You know, you you, mm. uh, you have this sort of ability to speak in a very simple way, and probably you know saying quite a lot of complex things in that. <laughs> but um, <laughs> how do you feel about uh, the way your music is presented to people? I mean, is it is it something that you think about a lot in terms of how you get it out to people? Um, well, in terms of accessibility, I don't know if I think about it very much. I'm quite sort of, um, I'm quite an old fashioned sort of simpleton. Mm. And like in my mind, it's I shouldn't just have agreed of... with that too readily. Sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> no, it's just like, for me, I just think gigs is how I get out to people. Mm. And, um, and if I'm lucky, then a little bit of radio as well. But I realise that in this day and age, it's actually a lot more about playlists, but also mm. people sharing stuff between themselves on the internet and things i mean i mean i don't know maybe that maybe people be listening to me saying that and thinking no that's what happened 20 years ago <laughs> now it's it's this new system Some but other i mean thing, yeah. but yeah i mean in terms of people finding it i guess people just do find it but it's always nice to um often people come up at gigs and it, and and Ex like tell the stories of how they discovered it a bit like you getting trapped yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> I, was, I, was I, was, I was kidnapped and forced to listen to you kidnapped so. and forced to listen to it so and that's always nice because it, it you know people do come to music in different sort of serendipitous ways mm. and it's always nice to sort of hear how that happens it's yeah 
I don't think about it too much. I think of the answer. <laughs> <laughs> Probably best not to. So where did, where did it all start for you? When when did you first think about um, not just um, sort of listening to music, but actually making it yourself? You know, and not even just like learning an instrument, but actually, I'm going to write a song. I'm going to write a piece of music. Yeah, I guess um, it was when I was a teenager, sort of towards the end of secondary school. That's quite an intense time, isn't it, for mm. pe- most people for listening to music and for a lot of people and it was definitely the case for me it was just such a pleasure to be with your mates and to play the songs of your favorite bands that you loved together like all all taking turns listening to each other playing you know songs or whatever mm. and it was really it, i i just have really strong memories of that and then at some point i guess it shifted to me exploring like the guitar and words and stuff and making up songs making mm. my own songs i guess it, i guess the local stop open mic night um probably had a big part in that transition because you sort of go there you play songs that you've learned to play mm. and then you start sort of thinking oh maybe i should try and write a song and that yeah. is what happened i'd sort of yeah i'd go and sing covers and then at some point i started singing songs that i'd written what were the things that um first you first wrote about and, and where, where does your inspiration come from now? Uh, it's probably not a million miles different in terms of life observations, personal and external. Mm-hmm. But um, I guess as a teenager, I mean, the things, if I look back and think about the things I wrote about as a teenager, but or even as a, um, or even in my sort of earlier sort of recordings and albums, mm. I guess it's quite. Yeah, the sort of imagery and the subject matter is quite gentle, I guess, mm. and sort of, um, and yeah, and pretty personal, I guess. Uh, what I'm trying to think, I feel like I remember writing songs about, you know, train journeys yeah. and things like that, and I probably still do write songs about train journeys, but it, but there's other stuff in there as well now. I guess my songwriting's got a bit more fractal and dense or something, mm. a bit less... Uh, less um, first degree is that what yeah, I mean? Yeah. But um, but yeah, I guess you know that desire to sort of um, mess with words, play with words, and sort of explore things through words and music combined, mm. sort of got me when I was a teenager. And then I never sort of decided, oh, I'm I want to do this for a, for my job. Yeah. I just sort of quietly hoped that it would be a big part of my life, and got lucky. <laughs> it ended up being a really big part of my life. <laughs> well, a bit more than luck, I'd say. But um, <laughs> um, one thing I find when I when I listen to your your lyrics, especially, is that just there's there's two things really. Actually, there's um, there's a quite a lot of nature in what you you write. Do you know, what I mean, the, the little yeah. little vignettes of you know oily cormorants wing, or, or you know, just one mm-hmm. one line here, line there. But you seem to be tapped into the natural world quite a lot. Yeah, this is um, what people say. And recently I had someone asked me and said, oh, how important is nature in your writing? And I was just like, well, not at all. What are you talking about? <laughs> and then afterwards I sort of, um, I don't know, accidentally listened to some of my lyrics. And I was like, oh, yeah, I do. <laughs> yep, yeah, I do do that. <laughs> Sometimes you have to look outside to see what's and going so, on. Don't you? Yeah, exactly. So, so I guess it is, but like I don't. I think the reason I didn't realise it is because I don't think I separate it from the other things. Mm. I feel like 
sort of urban nature and human nature is just as important for me to write about as what people call nature, mm. what other people call nature. I mean, because it's, it's all part of the same world for me, yeah. I think. You know, you're looking around and there's life forms and patterns that exist and sometimes they're from machines and sometimes they're from humans and sometimes they're from different animals mm. and sometimes they're from, like, plants. So, yeah, I I guess... It's important, but it's it's part of it's it's a it's a like um, it's part of the bigger yeah the whole experience life force I guess it's not um, I don't think of it as nature I don't sort of crave for like escaping yeah. the city or anything yeah. I don't think I don't think I think the other <laughs> thing that I always think of when I listen to lyrics is um, that uh, this isn't an insult but there's a childlike quality <laughs> to some of it like in that you can put things very very simply. Mm-hmm. And use, like, I mean, what did I hear yesterday? Something like, um, I think in one of the songs, it's not one I know very well, but you think I think I heard you say emotional yeah. buckaroo, which, yeah. which I just think is fantastic. <laughs> I mean, A, it works so well as a metaphor because we all know what the, you know, you put yeah. the stuff on the little donkey and eventually yeah. it just kicks it all off and emotional but well I that just makes perfect sense to me but it's so simple and it is kind of childlike it's like there's like an innocence to it and I think I see a lot of that is it something that you're aware of or again is that just something is that just how it comes out of you or do you try and keep things simple I I don't try and keep things simple I, I just go for the things I'm drawn to so it's it's I guess I I am drawn to things that sort of make me laugh mm. or make me smile or something or that I find funny. Yeah, so I guess um, a sort of nostalgic reference to a board game that I played <laughs> as a child made me laugh, you know. that. Yeah. But at the same time, it's sort of... The stuff that, could, that is possibly a bit childlike is... is um, yeah, it's either sort of nostalgic indulgence on my part mm-hmm. or it's just um the magic spells that come out of of i guess children's minds or language mm. that to me isn't even children's minds or language it's just sort of humans it's mm. really i guess in chi- in children you get a really strong sense of like human essence and what how humans behave and react and mm. what we get drawn to and then that gets a little bit confused as we learn different behaviours and different social stuff as we Mm. grow up. So I feel like there's something quite sort of essential in things that that we might describe as being childlike. But but for me, they're sort of as relevant to adults as ever. So I sort of, I'm trying to, sorry, I'm I'm sort of speaking really slowly because I can't, I'm trying to sort of think of examples of what Mm. I do and 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 remember what I was thinking when I wrote them, <laughs> but I can't think of any examples. But I think if that's what it, this might be what you're talking about. I think. Yeah, no, I, th- I think <laughs> I think you've had, you've hit the nail on the head very well. Okay, yeah. thank you. Yeah, but you know, it's it's uh, it's something that a lot of people uh, lose, I guess, as they become more experienced and they write more stuff, and they, then it becomes more obfuscated by, I guess, you know growing up and the social pressures of the world and the, mm. the the normal way that you're expected to talk as an adult, I guess. Yeah, exactly. I feel like language is so much fun, it's pointless to just 
behave, use it in a way that you think you're supposed to and that everyone expects you to as in sort of an essay write this is what a poem looks like this is what yeah. a song looks like this is what a you know sentence looks like and I, I um, I'm not up for that I, I want to have fun I guess that's another thing like this the idea of play people think that play is just for kids yes but actually it's what humans do and that's how we research things that's all that is work like industry how we're industrious and how we spend our time and how I'm sorry about all the sirens outside. <laughs> it's a busy Paris morning. <laughs> it's a busy morning. Um, you know, play is what humans do. We investigate, we find out. That's how we find out about science. That's how we find out about social stuff. It's how we, mm. it's how we learn. And so I feel like it's, it needs a new name that doesn't make us just think of Lego. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally get that. I totally get that because you, you do, you know, adults obviously do do find time to, to play, but they, they pretend they're not playing anymore, do you know? And, and it is what they're yeah, doing. Or they either call it work or they don't let themselves play because they don't think that it's valid or important enough. And basically it just is really important to do it. That's what keeps us sort of alive and healthy and finding out and learning. Absolutely. And, and you know, that music is a, is a great way of letting your mind and ears play away anywhere yeah. you are, do you know what I mean? So let's yeah. talk a little bit about your phonographic memories. You've picked three great songs for us. Yes. And the first song you picked is by the Beta Band, and it's mm. called Push It Out. And it, I, I had to listen through to it. I mean, I, I know the song from before, but I haven't listened to it in a long time. And again, it's one of those ones where, like, it's stark and simple, and yet by the end of it it's it's quite tense you know it really envelops you tell yeah, us a little it's bit amazing. about it amazing i feel like maybe yeah maybe this is some again it's hard to know whether it's something was in you and so that's why you were drawn to it or whether it sort of planted a seed in you and then that's why you ended up um getting mm. so into repetition and like trancey <laughs> stuff but um I, yeah all the songs i went through for i'm afraid ended up being just really strong sort of teenage memory ones mm. I should have tried to sort of do a do some samples from different times in my life but these ones were just I guess because it's such an intense time yeah. of music and listening and, and like absorption it ended up being these ones but yeah push it out the beta band so my friend Sam introduced me to the beta band and I particularly remember hearing this song for the what I think was the first time up in his in his sister Bridget's room mm. so Rosie who plays in my it plays bass and this is the kit like she's the youngest of these three siblings you've got Bridget, Sam and, and Rosie and I remember just being with them all up in Bridget's room in the top of the house listening to the beta band and this track came on and it blew my mind I couldn't mm. believe it like the fact I just I, I mean I guess until then I'd been listening to a lot of radio and the charts and whatever you know wafted my way mm. and the idea that you didn't have to follow those rules and that you could just um, I guess the songs all push out, but also just push the boundaries of what is mm. what people are sort of comfortable listening to, or what your what you want to play for however long, and the effect that repetition has on you. Yeah, like listening to it, but also playing it and saying it. I just loved it. Blew my mind, and it's just such a strong memory for me. I can remember the wall I was leaning up against. I can remember like where the stereo was. It just. It was such a strong, important moment for me musically, and the Beta Band. I mean, everything they've done actually has kind yeah. of had that effect on me. I mean, especially the three EPs. Just like yeah. what's possible in terms of experimenting and not following the rules, and just making the music you want to make, and it being so beautiful and so witty and so sort of articulate. I loved it. I'm 
push it out I'll push it all out I'll push it out I'll push it all out I'll push it out I'll push it all out I'll push it out I'll push it all out Push it out I push it all out I push it out I push it all out I push it out I push it all out I push it out I push it all out I push it out Push it all out. I push it out. I push it all out. I push it out. Push it all out. Push it out. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, they are a fantastic band. I love them myself. I, I actually yeah. went to their, what turned out to be their final gig, and oh. my train was delayed, and we got into the ground just as they said goodnight. <laughs> oh, wow, the final goodbye. What gig was that then? It was, uh, it was actually when Morrissey, um, before we knew he was a goose-stepping weirdo. Bit um, of a <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it was Morrissey's kind of comeback gig after he did You Are The Quarry. He played at Manchester Cricket Ground. Right, okay. And oh, the yeah. New York Dolls and the Beta Band are supporting. And I think it was yeah. the last time the Beta Band ever played together. Oh, and wow. literally just heard like a 30 seconds. I was like, yes, weave! And then they said, good night. Oh, <laughs> but, no, oh, no. But they do have this amazing quality of, uh, you know, they, A, they never really followed the expected way to make a song or an album and those those EPs yeah. or even especially. to make a career like yeah, they, yeah. they just did it their own way yeah and I think I feel like when they came up against when they were sort of forced into situations of trying to do it other people's ways that's when it got difficult and wasn't yeah. didn't work out for them I think anyway sorry what were you saying yeah, well, and, and, uh, agreeing totally and, and sonically they you know they um, they put you in a place that starts off comfortable a lot of the time but ends up quite you know claustrophobic feeling and I think that don't push it out track uh, when I was lying there listening to it this morning I you know it started off so this is nice with the little hi-hat just ride or just tapping away but by the end it creeps up on you and suddenly yeah. it's got you you know before and, you know it you're in a total push it out sort of intensity mm. chamber yeah. <laughs> but it's amazing it, how they yeah, do it with so little really... sound so there's, there's so yeah. few things going on yeah, and, it's really good. You know, and I do, but at the same time, loads going on, like all the sort of dynamic sort of awareness that they've got mm. for the different ingredients. I love it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And there's a, there's a few moments when I've listened to your stuff as well where you've had that sort of quiet intensity, and I think that's quite a hard thing to capture. Is it when you record stuff like that? Mm -hmm. I mean, is it very important the surroundings and the way 
you're you know the, do, you, do you spend a lot of time making sure you're in exactly the right kind of mood or is it or can you just walk into a studio and just bash it out um for writing i find it very hard to to get enough time in a row i need a long time of like mm. solitude and concentration and just getting inside my head without sort of washing machine interruptions and things like that <laughs> but for for recording i feel like it's a bit easier to i guess studios if if you're recording in a studio just sort of put you in the zone a little bit you walk mm. into a space and physically it's all it's like your mind sort of changes gear into okay i'm in a studio now and i feel like recording it's easier i think to just sort of um also, usually when I'm recording, personally, how I work is that the songs are already written when I go and record them. So it's just a question of sort of tapping into the song energy again and then concentrating and then it can usually work. Yeah, but, it, but in terms of like writing, yeah, it takes me a lot of solitude and time on my own. And because I can't choose yet, yeah, I guess you, for most people, it's sort of you can't wait until you feel like writing a song. You have mm. to sort of be chipping away at it whenever you get the chance <laughs> otherwise yeah. it'll never get done because <laughs> yeah, like yeah. when you, you know usually you sort of feel like writing a song when you're least able to yeah. <laughs> so it's just yeah I suppose once you enter but, the um, studio it feels like you've gone to work anyway so there's a there's a general brain shift in that way yeah there's a brain shift and then and you're usually with yeah it's just uh and it's nice I like that I, I do love being in the studio and you know I guess it's for me it's all it just feels like a gig mm. so it's the same thing that happens when you walk on stage you sort of it's like okay this is it this is the this is what it's going to sound like yeah when we start playing off we go <laughs> like and you just have to sort of um yeah live in that moment which yeah. it, which I feel like it's, it does me a lot of good to have that sort of pure presence yeah <laughs> experience. Well, you, you always manage to capture like a kind of rawness and a, an intimacy in, in all of the records you've made and uh, I really enjoyed uh, that kind of again I keep saying simple I mean I, I'm sure it's very difficult to make it like <laughs> that for takes Larry's method but it's it, you know the the because of the way the arrangements are done, for example, yeah. you know it, it never feels crowded and it never feels okay. too busy and it, there, there's something lovely about that it's got a very like a like someone's doing a personal demo for you field you know what I mean? right okay yeah yeah well that be that i hope that is uh hope that is what most people feel because that's what i'd like to be offering people <laughs> good stuff well it brings us nicely on to um pj harvey and perfect oh, day yes. elise because mm -hmm. if ever there was an artist who um keeps it raw and real it's yeah. pj harvey and you know for me my favorite things she's she does are kind of like the demos where it you yeah, know, her demos are amazing. Just it's true, yeah. badly recorded, mic in the corner of the room. But there's something about the intensity and the feeling that goes into those recordings yeah. that often trumps the the final studio versions. Yeah. So tell us about Perfect Day Elise and why this one in particular stays um, with you. Well, I guess because well, I guess PJ Harvey has been like a really strong and important sort of presence in my sort of musical enjoyment life mm -hmm. and uh, and this is the first song that made me kind of properly aware of her like i she, it was i can't remember what year it was oh look i can see the album right uh, on the floor i'm just gonna have a look <laughs> <laughs> always but, um, good that she's got the album on hand right it's, there it's just the cd pile i'm just next to the cd pile oh now i oh 1998 mm. so i guess um yeah i was 
I was watching Lady with Jules Holland and like she was on and played this song and it totally blew my socks off. Mm. Like it's just this brilliance of wall of sound and rhythm. Like what she does with rhythm is so brilliant and so often really complex and and you don't even realise how complicated it is until you mm. sort of get lost in it. And uh, And I loved it and because of hearing that song I then got into the album Is This Desire Mm -hmm. and it's just been one of and it still is just my favourite PJ Harvey album I just Mm -hmm. think it's so great all the sort of just great sort of experimental sort of noises and the storytelling on it and the sort of and it's an album to me that I feel like I mean I feel like a lot of her music does this but this particular album really um shows people I don't know it it feels really folky <laughs> but for want of a better word like yeah. the sort of the storytelling and the imagery and I feel like her storytelling and imagery is like this in her other stuff too but it was like this album that made me realize it like it's just quite it's really classic mm. kind of um f- folk Tales in a way, yeah. or, or, or I can't explain it. What's the, what's a better word? But well, it's just it seems really timeless and kind of, um, you know, I feel like she's using old stories, yeah. and but also from new experiences. And I don't know, it just blew my mind. Yeah. And it's I just think it's such an amazing album. The sounds on it, the frequencies, like the sort of all the sort of rules they break with sort of bass. Yeah. frequencies and bass noises it's just sort of gut churningly amazing and I sort of can't I can't do anything else when this music is playing I can only just completely listen to it and possibly sort of like dance around a bit <laughs> <laughs> say um you when you mentioned the 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 f word folk um yes you know we've talked about folk a few times on the podcast before and uh one of the things we always say is is you know traditionally it was the news it was it was how people told stories you know in different places and how things recorded. it literally means people Mm. do you mind being being termed folk do you find that restricts the way people look at you is it just because you have a banjo? Is that it? Sometimes, yeah. I've got a banjo and I sing in an English accent. And so that means I get called folk. But also, yeah. I guess, 
I was starting out at a time when there was a lot of songs, a lot of songs and songwriting and the word folk was getting applied to anyone who wrote songs, mm. wrote and played songs. So do I mind? Um, sometimes it's a little bit grating, actually, to be honest, yeah. because the result is I get treated a certain way that I feel like I didn't ask for. Yeah. Like I'll get, you know, a photographer will want to take pictures of me and they'll be like, oh, can you stand next to these flowers can you hold these flowers can you like take your shoes off or can you try you and look of, twee please can you let your hair down and so i feel like i don't know if that's because of being called a folk musician or if it's because i'm a female or mm. because it's both yeah. but i do struggle with that side of it because i guess but i also you know as an artist i have to remember and understand and i do believe this that People are going to interpret you and hear you and see you however they decide. Like, yeah. So you can't control your how people see you or hear you. <laughs> yeah, indeed. But, yeah. Um, and so it's a strange sort of balance between trying to allow, allow that but also to still have some sort of autonomy and say in how I'm represented anyway. There's, there's, this. The two things should somehow be able to both exist. <laughs> I mean, but it's not always easy. But yeah. But it, but in terms of the folk music, I mean, I don't think it. I guess it means that I get to play at a lot of folk festivals, which is yeah. nice. But on the other side, I don't know how many other music festivals have turned me down because they think yeah. I'm folk. Do you know yeah. what I mean? I don't know. I don't see the negative sides of it. I'm, mm. I, I I just am luck. I just feel lucky for being able to do gigs <laughs> <laughs> well it's, I mean it's a funny thing because it's it's kind of like um if someone won't call you by your name do you know I mean they, they decide oh your, your name's Kate but I'm going to call you Katie Wu or whatever you know yeah it's yeah. like well I haven't asked for that really and I know yeah. um last week or last month rather we had uh, Jeff Barrow on the podcast from Portishead oh great okay and had, had a good old chat with him um and it didn't come up at all in the conversation but in the intro yeah just because I don't know. That's what everyone called it. I I, I said something about trip hop, and um, oh, ooh, he, he really flag. does not. He does not like that. <laughs> he does not like that yeah. at all. So I, I, there was a there was a quick uh, exchange of emails, and uh, you know, because to him it was but something. It's cooler that people say it. It's really cool. When well, this is the thing, say... and it's it's what, like you said. Once you've given your music out, then people do what they will with it, and they you know if they call you this, they call you they call you folk. You, you're in the folk section, do you know what Yeah, I mean? and people, and to be honest, like, they want a quick and easy word to mm. vaguely describe something. Yeah. And, you know, the word trip-hop got made up by someone, and it and, and then it was a useful thing to use to describe a bunch of music that had a certain thing in common. But, yeah, it's not ideal. Yeah, it's no, he, was, he, he, he described it. Trip hop as a, as London wanker music, so um, mm, so I did a, a quick right. quick re edit of the beginning of the podcast and said <laughs> yeah, that again, no. and we're all friends and everything's good again. <laughs> but it's true that you know certain uh, certain it's it's interesting, yeah, as an artist, how to sort of be okay with what people call you and mm. how they see you. It's not always um it's not always something that's in your control. I mean, it usually isn't something in your control. Usually it's totally out of your control. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of that sort of thing, um, uh, the, the track I didn't know before is Napoleon by Annie DeFranco. Oh, so I've yes. just listened to that for the first time this morning, a really yeah. intense little 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 tune. And I think um, yeah. it, 
Sounds like she's pretty cross at, at, at some people in the record industry. <laughs> I'm not sure. Yeah, it does. I mean, I mean, it's, for me, it's like she she knows what the music industry is about, uh-huh. and she's got this sort of person or friend or whatever who sort of claimed to know as well, but then went and went down this sort of dubious path anyway, and then and then regrets it afterwards I don't know I mean there's more to it than that anyway but like in my in my the sort of story that I interpreted as a teenager was kind of that and um and just this yeah the the idea that people just want celebrity and bigger and more and as much um exposure as possible they just want fame and so I feel like that is what she's saying when she's saying that everyone's a Napoleon they all want to just sort of Take over you know, the world, yeah. Turn up and conquer everything. But yeah, this song, basically, let me try and get back to my memory of this song. Mm. The um, My sister went to Canada when she finished her... Um, was it after her foundation year at art college? Anyway, she went she went travelling in Canada and came back with quite a lot of amazing music. And one of the CDs she came back with was this album by Annie DeFranco called mm. Dilate. And... I wonder how old I was at the time. I must have been about 15 or something. It just totally blew my mind. Like, the fact that there was this woman being so bold and, like, writing in such an honest and often quite aggressive, but not in an un, like in a, in a necessarily aggressive yeah. way, and so articulate and so... I don't know. It was exactly what my 15-year-old self needed. It was mm. so inspiring. And I feel like this song in particular was the first one I got into. And um, I don't know how to put this. It's not. It's, <laughs> no, it's going to be a total anticlimax, sorry. But, like, the guitar sound on this track blew my mind. Yeah, and it, it, is, a, it is an interesting sound. It's... And I've never got over it, and I've yeah. always wanted every guitar to always sound like this ever since <laughs> like this is this is the guitar sound that i want every guitar to sound like mm-hmm. and uh and i just loved it i loved it and she really changed my life in terms of what was possible being a woman mm. in the world and in music like the stuff she talks about her sense of humor her sense of like anger her sense of like what's right and wrong and th- like the the way she talks about sexuality and gender and mm-hmm. like so many other political things oh my god it really um opened a lot of windows for me <laughs> as a as a teenager and then i subsequently spent sort of the next sort of 2 years of my life learning to play all of her songs yeah. finding out about her whole, her whole back catalog before so then, it really was something you really it really shaped the way you, you you started making your music then i guess yeah because i basically learned to play guitar off her like it's because of Ida franco that i don't know the names of any chords and that i retune <laughs> my guitar too much like and i use a capo all the time like basically it's her fault i can't play the guitar <laughs> curse you annie defranco <laughs>
like I totally learnt to play guitar from her. Just like it was early internet days, I'd go, you'd go to the library and spend ages trying to find tablature to print off. Yeah. And like just what, finding out all about all of the different ways she tuned her guitars. Like mm-hmm. her guitar playing is phenomenal. It's insane. And I sort of get that some people, for some people, it's too, especially these days. For some people, it's too sort of, I don't know, American shouty lady or something mm. I don't know but it's so important like it's so important and there's so many people now that are only just starting to talk about the things that she was talking about f- throughout her whole career mm. and I just um I just can't stress how important she was to me but also is to songwriting and feminism and the music industry because it's not just that she it's not just those things it's not just her writing and that was incredibly sort of revolutionary, but she just started her own record label mm-hmm. and like was a real trailblazer in terms of artists owning their own music and doing things in a way that meant they were the ones getting paid for their music rather than, you know, big labels yeah. or everyone yeah. else, basically. Well, I was going and to ask you, actually, I was going to ask you, um, you know, uh, you've managed to keep your independence. Uh, I mean, maybe that's because... We, you know, they, they were never going to um, send you off to Hawaii and film, film a video <laughs> by the, by the side of the pool or whatever, or have you at yeah. the TV Choice Awards or anything like that. Yeah. But, um, I mean, you kept your independence really well. And, and uh, what's great about that is over those 20 years, you know, your identity and the way you come across, it feels really unsullied. I don't know if you ever have felt the pressure from the, from the industry like that, but you, your sound certainly has never felt like it was being contorted from the outside. Yeah, I hope I hope so. I mean, I feel like as I have as the as the years have passed and the sort of and my career for want of a slightly better word <laughs> you can has, call um, it that. It's fine. has like <laughs> progressed. You do end up working with people and working with record labels and working with managers and so like and if you're lucky enough, which I feel like I've been lucky enough, they're totally brilliant and respects you and and are the right people to work with and sort mm. of know their trade and have the skills to do what I personally don't have the skills to do in terms mm. of like existing in this sort of slightly weird um, thing that's called the music industry. Yeah. <laughs> but, but as a result of that, there are compromises to make because I want... I don't want to make other people's working life difficult. Mm. So, yeah, there's always going to be a slight sort of compromise from time to time in terms of what I would have chosen to do personally and what is just helpful to the team of people that are working really hard Mm. to make it a sustainable... Well, basically, for it to be sustainable employment for my band members and for me. So there's no sort of... um, escaping the ecosystem of the industry and it's not a particularly healthy one but I think you can make an effort to you know um, deal with it as decently and in a way that make that is comfortable with you as much as possible mm. I mean and then you and then there's people like sort of Jonathan Richmond who are just totally brilliant and don't have email and don't have a <laughs> mobile phone you can only contact him wow. through a manager or through a fax machine and a tel- and a landline, but at the same time, 
not everyone is Jonathan Richmond, so not everyone can do that. Like you can't. Yeah. He's a complete legendary genius yeah and he's, he's, he's just been crossed off the list of possible guests on what goes around because uh, we wouldn't i don't know if that's he doing the interview via fax that would be tricky no he's got a landline it's fine oh right that's okay do you know Kraftwerk, Kraftwerk used to have a, a phone in the studio in dusseldorf and uh, right. it didn't ring and <laughs> what they would do is they if they if they actually wanted to speak to someone they'd say ring at this time and we'll just pick it up so, so oh right, ring! Oh, brilliant! So ring exactly. No ring. If you didn't ring exactly at the right the time, that was it. They weren't going to talk to you. That's so great. Yeah. That's really good. In control. But I like. I like the way. Um, you, you know, you, it feels like you've built a little family of people around you, and and you obviously care for that family and want to, you know, give that stable employment. And and I mean, obviously, a lot of responsibility then comes back onto you because you're the one who's writing the songs and putting the things out there. So it, yeah. it must it must weigh a little bit on you, I should think. I mean, it does. Like, I, I feel like um, in terms of the stuff I'm writing, I know that I just will have to write what I write and I can't yeah. change that. But it's true that then there are other choices in how things are set up or how things are promoted or whatever mm. that, yeah, I, I am aware of the knock-on effect to other people's mm. sort of livelihood so it but then you know it's the eternal freedom and responsibility um death grip like yeah. you can't <laughs> you can't actually have freedom without a sort of without responsibility in equal measure sort of thing so so it's um you know there's always choices to make yeah. and you just have to hope you have to sort of communicate with everyone communication is key i think and just yeah. try and hope that everyone is okay about the choices you make and knows that they can um do something else yeah yeah if they feel like they need to do something else i mean you've grown very organically it feels to me like you know and, and the good thing about that is when you grow like that people tend to stay with you it doesn't become like a fly-by-night thing so I'm sure you've had fans that have been following you around for the last 20 years now. and Yeah, maybe. I mean, there are people... Yeah, it's true. There are people that come to the gig and say, oh, I first heard your song on this compilation or whatever, which was, you know, a, a release that, before I'd released any albums. Mm. And so, yeah, it's really amazing when that happens, actually, because I feel like what I do now is so different to what I did back then. But um, but it's very nice. It definitely feels like it's been a sort of slow fermentation process. But yeah. Not, but not that I've been sort of monitoring it. Like it's just totally in looking back. Like I've, as far as I'm concerned, it's always been fine. <laughs> like where, <laughs> wherever I've been, I'm like sort of yeah, this is great. This is a good place to be. And then like, another album comes along and things shift a little bit. Or there's a few more people that come to the gigs. Or you know, the the conditions are a bit different. Well, I always wonder with... And then with, I think, um, oh, that's fine too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I always wonder with, the, you know, the sort of, um, these, these quieter sort of bands uh, that, that rely on the intimacy and the acoustic instruments and all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, how, as it's grown and got bigger and bigger, and you, you've ended up, uh, as you say, playing loads of folk festivals, I think you're at Glastonbury later this week, aren't you? No, not me. Not oh, this not year. You? No, no. No, no. Rosie is, but not me. Oh, right, okay. But hopefully, hopefully next year. <laughs> yeah, fingers crossed with that. Um, but uh, you know, how does it feel as an artist? Um, what's the What's the difference, and which do you prefer playing a nice little folk club in a basement in Soho with like eighty people in, or playing a festival where you're looking out on 
thousands maybe and um, you know and some of them are just off doing their own thing you know queuing for hot dogs or whatever it is they want to yeah. do and yet some of them are right in front of you and, and into it which which is more satisfying or desirable for you i don't think either of them are better or worse than the other i feel really? i feel like oh i mean also i say either there's obviously loads of other situations in between those as well like the whole sort of spectrum of of gigs you can do in terms of number of people or like smallness of space bigness of space like i mean i i just feel like they're all so important and teach you so much Mm. i love doing the whole range like i've just done this sort of um solo tour of record shops for the release of the album and I loved it. Like it does me so much good to play solo and to sort of um, work different muscles yeah. in terms of like how you perform the songs, like and how you make them interesting. Because sometimes it's easy to feel a bit like they're boring without the rest of the band or something. You know, there's. I just feel like it's really important to have all of the different gig experiences. Mm. And then there's like you know, occasionally you'll find yourself in a total sort of open mic situation and people aren't very impressed, they're not listening, they don't like it, and you're just mm. like, oh yeah, this is really important. Like, we're like, it all depends on the context. Like, you could just plonk someone at an open mic night. You could plonk, you know, <laughs> so I'm trying to think of someone really famous now, I can't think of anyone. And, it, and, and if no one knows who they are, then, then they might not go down very well. Like, yeah. it's a good reminder, it's a good re- reality reminder. But what was the classic? Sorry, what were you I was say? just thinking that there was a classic uh, moment where they sent badly drawn boy to um, busk outside King's Cross Station when he was kind oh, yeah. of at his peak. Yeah. And I think he made about two quid. And it was exactly. He was he was like kind of well, you know, it's fine. It's you know, <laughs> this is this is okay. It's the context. But also, I was thinking about that the other day because I had all this sort of I had this battery amp with me, and I was on the trains and mm. stuff, and I was like, I could actually just stop here and just busk. I yeah. Just do some busking, and um and uh, but from what I have, anyone who's ever done busking knows that you don't. People don't appreciate it when you're playing song, your own songs. They just want. Something they know. The big hits. They want the Beatles, they want Bowie, they want, you know, the bangers. And so, uh, but also I wonder if, if if like Badly Drawn Boy was at the peak of his career, people probably recognised him and thought, oh great, look, he's playing some songs outside, brilliant. But they didn't think he's a musician that's earning his living like this. Yeah, I suppose so. That's that's the other side of it, isn't it? Well, why should I give him five quid, you know? (laughs) I've got to go and buy a sandwich and get to work. Yeah, but I feel like it's really... It just teaches you so much, mm. all the different gig conditions, whether it's like busking, open mic, Glastonbury main stage. You, you, it's a really good lesson in it, sort of adapting to the situation and tr- finding a way to connect with the audience mm. through the different obstacles that each situation sort of offers up. Well, I think that's a, a, a tremendously healthy attitude. And um, I'm going to live in hope now that I can go down to Bristol Town Centre one day and see you busking. That'd be, that'd be marvellous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hope so. I hope so. I hope that happens one day because, yeah, uh, it's, I, it's good. I like it. I like a bit of busking. <laughs> well, listen, Kate, it's been lovely talking to you. And uh, I hope you're all right there in Paris as another, I know. Uh, yet another siren goes <laughs> another past. Another emergency vehicle. It's yeah. a, bit of a bit of a running joke in what goes around that uh, we have, we have a, a glorious <laughs> selection of background noises. We've had to builders in uh, smashing up Debs's flat while we've been trying to record stuff, all sorts of things going on. So uh, a little bit of sirens won't do us any harm. Thank you so much for talking to us today. It's really interesting. It's been a really nice chat. It's been interesting for me too, because this is sort of how I 
you know how I learn about stuff too so yeah. thank you oh that's nice to know best of luck with the album it's absolutely brilliant and I'm sure you're going to do really well with it. So uh, thank you very much for coming and talk to us. Thanks for having me. See you again. Cheers, Kate. Friend, when you needed a friend Heart hanging or torn again Step ladder got down again And if you enjoyed that particular show, then um, spread that joy around. Find someone who likes a bit of the music and likes a nice bit of chat and pass what goes around over to them and let them enjoy this wonderful show in the same way that you did. Like, subscribe, make friends with strangers, what goes around. Will we manage not to lie?